to Thriving Educators. I am Brian Langley. Today is the fourth in a 12-episode series reflecting on Jerry Brophy's indispensable booklet called Teaching. This episode considers establishing learning orientations, and I have Cassandra Griffin and Allison Bradley here to share their expertise. Cassandra is an elementary-level speech-language pathologist, and Allison, a returning guest, teaches second grade. Enjoy. Okay, so before I bring in my guest today, I just wanted to pause and reflect on where we've been lately in the podcast. This is the fourth chapter of Jerry Brophy's little booklet, Teaching, that we've been covering. Chapter one was on building a supportive classroom climate. So we discussed the importance of welcoming students, building positive relationships, and allowing students to feel more comfortable making mistakes. Chapter two was on maximizing instructional time to provide students with the opportunity to learn. So we discussed how there is more to learn than we have time to teach and how this reality compels us to cherish our class time and make our learning environment efficient and purposeful. Chapter three was on the importance of curricular alignment. In that episode, we talked about the goals of education and how we should build cohesive and coherent classes to support progress towards those goals. If those topics sound interesting to you and you haven't checked them out yet, I think they're worth the listen. As for today, I have Cassandra Griffin and Allison Bradley with me to discuss chapter four on establishing learning orientations. This chapter is largely about setting students up for success by cueing their prior knowledge and keeping them motivated. Cassandra and Allison have interesting perspectives to share on this. So let's get to our conversation. Cassandra Griffin, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me today. I'm excited to be here. Allison Bradley, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Brian. I'm excited to be here too. And you are a returning guest. I am. Thanks for coming back. <laughs> Thank you for listening to me one more time. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So today we're talking about Jerry Brophy's book, Teaching. It's a little booklet. And we're going to look specifically at chapter four, which is titled Establishing Learning Orientations. And underneath the chapter title, there's a little blurb that says this, teachers can prepare students for learning by providing an initial structure to clarify intended outcomes and cue desired learning strategies. So Cassandra, I'm curious, as you read through just this one page chapter, was there anything that stood out to you? Yeah, there was a couple things that stood out, but one of the first ones that I noticed was when it says good lesson orientations also stimulate students' motivation to learn by communicating enthusiasm for the learning or helping students to appreciate its value or application potential. And so why did that stand out to you? So it stood out to me as somebody who works with children, but it also stood out to me like when I was a student. Okay. Um, as far as when I was a student, I was thinking about, you know, I always would ask like, why do I need to learn this? Exactly. Right. Especially for me, like it was in math class. I would be like, well, I'm not going to use this later. Why do I need to know this? So, mm -hmm. you know, when I work with students, I think it's important for them to understand the why so they can buy into it um, right. and they can see the importance behind the skills that we're working on. Right. So... We probably don't like to think about it 
in this way necessarily, but you kind of have to be a salesman of what you're teaching. Mm -hmm. And so by doing that, um, brings in the engagement of the class and also gives the class purpose. Yep, absolutely. And so I imagine that what you're saying about when, from your roles being a, a student, it's would be then important um, to be explicit then about why this is important stuff. And that's exactly what we do. We have explicit instruction. That's what uh, special education is. Okay. Um, and you know what? I thought about this from a parent perspective too. We, when we are doing IEPs, we are explicitly stating, you know, why are, what are we working on and why? And so we are explaining that also to parents. So I kind of uh, made the connection there too. And I think while we're on this for a second, since you brought it up, let's talk, let's bring in a little bit of context about your context. So what is your role currently um, as a teacher? Yeah, so I am a speech-language pathologist mm -hmm. at, um, at the elementary level. I've also worked at the adult transition and middle school and preschool. So I work with a variety of students of ages as well as disabilities um, and ability levels. And so when we look at what I do specifically is I really am targeting a specialized skill um, in one area and each of my kids are working on very different skills. So it's important not only for them each to know exactly what they're working on, but why it's important. So yeah, I'm so glad to have you here in that unique context that you have, that you bring and um, looking forward to the rest of this conversation wrapped around that context. So thank you so much, Cassandra. All right, Allison. What about you? When you read this chapter, what stood out to you? Brian, I'm going to be honest with you. When I read the title of the chapter, Establishing Learning Orientations, I thought that was super daunting. I okay. was like, what does that even mean? <laughs> right. You know, and when you're asked to be on here, you're like, who thought I was good at this? <laughs> um, but it really is, um, it's more than just that. It's really the hook. And we as teachers do that kind of naturally. How are we going to hook our students from the beginning? Because if you don't grab their attention right away, you're not going to keep it. Um, and similar to what Cassandra said, just um, kind of beginning with the end in mind, this is why we're learning it and outlining um, kind of the path of learning that we're going to take that particular day. Okay, great. And so then why don't we bring in your context? So what context are you bringing to this conversation today? I am a second grade teacher okay. at Novi Woods. All right. So traditional class, mm -hmm. second grade classroom teacher. Perfect. Okay. So let's then get into this a little bit deeper. Okay. So Allison, let's stay with yours for a minute then. And let's talk a little bit more about the hook. So what are some ways in your classroom that you hook the students? Um, I think sometimes the hook can sound a little bit uh, overwhelming, like you have to start with some big, fancy, pizzazz thing to get them all excited about learning. Mm -hmm. It can be as simple as um, posing a question. Have you ever seen your mom in the store and she has to buy all of these things, but she can't add up all of those numbers with decimal points in her head super quickly? Okay. Um, how does she do that? And then we can launch into something about um, a lesson on making a ballpark estimate or something like that. But okay. connecting it to something that is relatable to them. Um, I also like to start every lesson with our learning target um, so we know what we are going to be able to do by the end of the lesson. Mm -hmm. And that's actually a job in my classroom. I have what I call a learning leader. So I have a student ask every day, um, what will we be able to do by the end of this lesson? And a, no, they call in another friend to read the learning target. And then they say, keep growing your brains. So we know what our goal is before we even start. And okay. then often we'll look at the learning target and look for root words um, 
or different vocabulary words that we don't know. For example, today we did a lesson on partitioning. So okay. check out this word partition. Do you see another word inside of it? And so right out the gate, they're feeling like they have some success because mm -hmm. they identified the word part inside of it. So they're excited. They're like, okay, I already got one right. What's next? What do you have for me? Okay. So then it sounds to me like you are intentional about building in these hooks for students and they don't have to even be like fancy elaborate hooks but they are um thoughtful mm -hmm. yeah okay i do try to do that <laughs> i'm glad <laughs> all right sounds like you're the perfect person then to talk about this <laughs> chapter okay cassandra what about you so then um how does establishing learning orientations look in your day-to-day -day work with students so it could look very similar where we establish the learning target or what our goal is for the day. So mm -hmm. what target, you know, a lot of my kids have several goals. So we may start by talking about exactly what goal they're targeting. Um, for example, today, I we were going to work on inferencing skills. And I said, okay, well, if I'm sitting here and you guys are talking and I'm like this, looking very bored, how do you think I'm feeling about the conversation? Um, and talking about how that really is important for when we're working with peers and social interactions. Um, so just giving that example of first what we're gonna work on um, and then talking about why that's important for the kids. So it's really just establishing um, what goal we're gonna work on that day. Okay, so Cassandra, in your role as a speech pathologist, um, I imagine that this looks a little bit different than a traditional classroom teacher. What are some ways it is different? Yeah, so obviously half of my job is working with kids one-on-one -on -one or in a small group, but another large part of my job is doing evaluations of students. Okay. Um, and especially when I think of our students who are English language learners, we use something called dynamic assessment. Okay. Um, and part of that dynamic assessment is the mediated learning experience. And so two parts of that really stood out to me when we were thinking about learning orientations. And that was intentionality and then meaning. So really thinking about, you know, teaching and creating awareness of the skill that we're trying to assess, mm -hmm. but also, you know, having the kids understand why we're assessing that area and why we're it's an important skill to have. Okay. Um, you know, some of my things that I work on with students the students may not necessarily find it important. For example, if they're working on their R sound, well, why do I need to work on my R? Mm -hmm. They might not see the importance right now, but then we talk about, you know, later on, you might want to do professional speaking. And, you know, it's important that people can understand what you're saying. Mm -hmm. um, so just promoting that awareness. But during the assessment piece, that mediated le learning experience is really um, promoting um, deliberately teaching and then watching how the children respond to that instruction. And then that shows how we can adjust our our process. And so with dynamic assessment, it's the test, teach, retest, the mediated learning experience. The mediated learning experience. Yeah. Okay. So the goal of that is to create learners that are self-directed and independent. Okay. And so the process of that is, yes, it's a process. And that's how we go through our dynamic assessment. So okay. if we're creating a dynamic assessment, meaning that we are teaching them a skill or we're testing them on a skill, we are teaching them a skill and then we're retesting. So it's the same skill. Yes. So, so you test on the skill, see maybe what level they're at with it. Yes. And then you teach a little bit more yep. on that to help bring them up. And mm -hmm. then you retest 
test yes. to see if there's been improvement. Yes. And we do that a lot. We should, I mean, best practice would be that we are doing that with all of our evaluations, mm-hmm. but in, with English language learners in specifically, a lot of our tests are standardized on mm-hmm. monolingual students. And so standardized assessments aren't always the best picture of our students' abilities. Okay. So we use this dynamic assessment process to really see how their language skills in a specific area are. Okay, I gotcha. And what you're saying is in that environment, it's important for you to also establish these learning orientations so that when the students are going through this process, they are motivated to learn better. Yes, and learn that, work on that skill. And work, and, right. And then for the net result to be that they're better at that skill. Yes. Okay, thank you. All right, I need to pause. Yeah, thanks for bringing that all around. Bring it up together for me. That's my job. <laughs> okay, Allison. Oh, I, no, 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 no. Okay, do you want something? Where, are we going to go to where you've I evolved? Think, I think we... Or, or was another point you wanted to make first? I just saw that we had the same thing highlighted, so oh, that's you how did. I was going to bring up the pre-question oh, activating yeah. prior knowledge thing. Okay, so what, what do you want me to say to do that? <laughs> I was... I can do it. Okay. Say. <laughs> you piggyback on what Cassandra said. second time. <laughs> no, that's not why. Um, I was glancing over at uh, Cassandra's copy of the chapter, and mm-hmm. I noticed that we actually have a lot of the same things highlighted, okay. which I think is uh, kind of ironic, but maybe um, we're just sort of trained to do things the same way in our classrooms. But one of the points that I noticed that she had highlighted on her paper that I also have is the importance of pre-questions that stimulate students' thinking about the topic. Okay. Um, and I... As I was reading this, I was thinking about like doing lesson plans back in college and how that activating prior knowledge section at the top to start your lesson plans was always fluffy to me. It mm-hmm. didn't really matter. I just filled it in. And then I really wanted to get to the meat of my lesson because that's what I viewed as most important. And over the years, I've realized that um, activating their prior knowledge is critical to starting any lesson. Um, it goes back to what I said about hooking them in. That's part of it. Um, and going back to what you learned yesterday or something that they learned previously in their lives, but then it makes the learning, the new learning more applicable. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up. One thing that I noticed in the chapter was the use of the word cueing. And I have been reading, and I know in my podcast I bring this up a lot, but I've been reading a lot about the cognitive science of learning. And cueing is a word that um, that comes up a lot because when, when we are cued to something, then it activates our prior knowledge of what we have in our memory, and then we're able to start to apply what we've learned there to what this new learning that we are encountering right now. And so what you just mentioned there about the, um, about the pre-questioning is a way of cueing in students what, um, what they already know about what they're about ready to learn. And not only does that then help prepare them for the new learning, but it also goes back to your first points you guys are making, which is it helps reinforce that that learning that they had yesterday was important. Mm -hmm. Right. So, all right, I'm going to continue to try and be um, uh, deliberate and thoughtful uh, about the way that I start off these lessons so that I am finding ways to, to bring in the hooks and to, and to um, help students cue their prior knowledge. All right, so Allison, in your 
uh, career in education. I'm curious, as you think about establishing learning orientations, if there have been moments along the way, or maybe a moment or two or something, that have particularly shaped how you think about this. Yeah, actually, a couple of years ago um, in Novi, we did a book study on the book Teach Like a Pirate by Dave Burgess. And it was kind of a silly analogy, but in his book, he talked about how learning is the treasure or okay. the the new knowledge is the goal the kids are taking this great adventure to go find. And there was a lot of talk about hooks and establishing learning orientations. Um, and there was one particular lesson that I did um, that was sparked by an idea that he shared in the book where we were talking about the Great Pacific Garbage Patch during April um, in preparation for Earth Day and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And I emailed parents and I asked them to send students in with all the recyclables that they had at home. We were going to reuse them. So kids came in all day. They didn't know why, but all morning they came in and we put all of the recyclables in a corner of the classroom mm -hmm. and I didn't mention it. And it was driving them nuts. Why is that there? What are we going to do? And I said, you have to wait till science. Science is it too. No, <laughs> really, what are we going to do? And we just had this huge pile of trash the whole entire day. <laughs> but by the time we got to science, man, they were pumped. They couldn't yeah. wait to hear. And so just sort of um, looking for creative ways to add even silly elements of surprise or something mm -hmm. that's unexpected. So like I said before, it doesn't have to be um, always that elaborate. It can be simply connecting to, uh, have you ever seen your mom do this? Or, oh my goodness, on my way to school this morning, I had a problem. Mm -hmm. What do you think about this? Um, and trying to make connections that way. But I actually find that um, the hook can be a really fun, creative opportunity for teachers um, to start their lessons. And then it's more fun to teach when the kids are excited to learn. I'm so glad you brought that up. And one thing I think that I've realized over my career is that a lot of times we're always thinking about what's new. Mm -hmm. And every day it's like, what's new? What's new? I got to do new stuff, more stuff, new stuff that we don't spend enough time thinking about what we've already done and bringing that back. And how can we continue to be deliberately and thinking about ways that we can bring back what we've done before to cue students and how can we continue to think about the hooks to get them ready to learn mm -hmm. yeah that's really good okay thanks Cassandra yeah anything last second you want to talk no about? it was just really funny that you said you know thinking about always the new and not going back and I'm thinking man I need to think of some new things because a lot of mine is a lot of repetition because mm -hmm. that's what the nature of my job is. So it's really interesting to hear your examples. It makes me want to think of something creative <laughs> and fun to do. And when I think about your example, Allison, of the of the suspense you built. Mm -hmm. So I used to be somebody who thought I do not want to have an agenda, a daily agenda, because I liked the element of surprise. And I but I know though that there's some students uh -huh. that the element of surprise Every day, all the time is too much, and it helps them when it's all laid out. Mm -hmm. And so there's a balance, and I think that you hit the balance pretty well because for the most part, the, the, it sounds like your students are trained to kind of know what's coming up. But on this particular day, you held it back a little bit, and man, did that hook them. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Cassandra Griffin, Allison Bradley, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thanks for having us today. This was really fun. Yes, thank you. Okay, that 
wraps up another episode of Thriving Educators. Thank you to Cassandra Griffin and Allison Bradley for sharing your expertise with me. And take care, everyone.